0: Hello, and welcome to Beer and Bites, your regular digital marketing and PR podcast that is brought to you by MRM, a financial services communications agency. If you're a marketing professional navigating your way through the thorny, complex world of financial services, you've arrived at the right place. You've got me, Amy Rowe, and Michael Taggart. Say hello, Michael.
1: Hello, listeners.
0: We've been all over London this week and haven't had a chance to get to the studio, so we're not going to do a massive preamble because what we've got for you is even better and more exciting than mine and Michael's bants. We've got Katie Evans, Head of Research and Policy at the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. The charity was set up by money-saving experts Martin Lewis, and the work it does is fascinating. We met Katie to talk about some of the difficulties those experiencing mental health issues can come across when buying things online. Yes, though the digital age has made everything far more accessible, that's got to be a good thing, but it can also lead to somewhat of a moral dilemma for anyone selling services. Here's that interview now.
1: So Katie, tell us a little bit about what Money and Mental Health does, what its mission is and what it's here for.
2: So we're a policy institute, which is a sort of cross between a think tank and a, a campaigning organisation. We're a charity, that's how I set up. So we're here to break the link between mental health problems and financial difficulty. It's a really strong link. A quarter of all people with mental health problems will also be in problem debt, so two months or more behind on a bill or a credit payment. Um, And this delays recovery as well. So if you have depression and you're also in financial difficulties, you're four times more likely to still be experiencing symptoms of depression 18 months later than if your finances were more stable. It's really important that we work to break this link, work out why it is that people experiencing mental health problems are more likely to be in financial difficulty and what we can do about it.
1: Katie, what sort of behaviours is it we're talking about here?
2: So there are many ways in which experiencing a mental health problem changes your financial behaviour. One of the most prominent things we see is an increasing spending behaviour. So when we first started the Institute last spring, we surveyed 5,500 people with mental health problems. And 93% of them told us that they spend more when they're unwell. There's all sorts of motivations behind that spending behaviour. Some of it is is plain and simple spending to make yourself feel better, which I think we can all recognise in that half past three, run to the corner shop for a chocolate bar, perhaps something more bigger like a a new dress or a book to cheer yourself up just before payday. Then there's other other types of spending. So people feeling that their illness means they're not being a good friend or a good parent, Um, buying gifts for friends and family members to try and make up the times they feel they've not been there, or trying to buy things that present the version of themselves they want to be to the world when they're feeling unwell. So that might be new clothes for work or, or a new car.
0: So, Katie, moving on from... We've been talking about the behaviours of people, and I've spoken to you before, we both have uh, actually at MRM, ab- about um, how mental uh, people who experience mental health issues can, um, in their most extreme Uh, manifestations of of the problem they can be spending money at 3 a.m. in the morning on on a website with just a few clicks but I know that you guys are working with companies um, to, to sort of talk to them about what they need to do on their side or what they might be able to do on their side to sort of ease that problem
2: yes so we're at the very start of these conversations with with people like retailers initially trying to help them understand these problems because part of the reason we've been set up is that actually people don't understand at the moment how having a mental health problem can change your financial behavior. And so the first job for us is, is really to spread that message to do this research and, and to get the word out there about what, what how people's behavior does change. The second part of that is then working with retailers, with financial services companies to try and help people create, create a protective environment if that's what they need. So one of the things we've talked about before is online shopping, particularly in the night. So a very common symptom of many mental health problems is insomnia. Take the picture. It's 3 a.m. You're wide awake. You feel terrible. You can't imagine ever feeling better again. Your family members are all in bed. You're up alone. There's nothing on the telly. The call of the online retail is there all the time and what we hear is people buying you know things to cheer themselves up but also quite often um, projects so we have people going online and buying DIY materials because that's what I'll do tomorrow I'll fix the kitchen or you know craft projects Um, I'll set an Etsy shop up that's what I'm gonna do to make my life better and so but these people unfortunately We know our impulse, we're less good at controlling our impulses late at night when we're sleep deprived and when you can now buy things in just a couple of clicks, your card details are remembered, it doesn't feel like spending money, we know people are getting into difficulties with it so we're looking at ways that people could start setting closing hours for online shops. Just like in, when you were out in the real world, in, on the high street, mm. you know, the number of bags in your hands, you're getting weighed down, they're hard to carry, you're handing over actual cash or seeing your actual card going through your machine with your PIN number, you feel that spending. What's the online equivalent? We think it's letting people set their own hours for closing for online shops. So not that we should come in and say all online shops should close at 10pm and open again at 6 because, you know, online shopping at night is really convenient for loads of people. I shop online after 10pm, I don't want to be stopped from doing that when I'm well. But if I was unwell and it was becoming a problem, it would be really helpful to be able to say, actually, I don't want to do this between these times. Let me do it during the daytime, but at night when it's a problem for me, it would be much better if I could just switch that off.
1: That's fascinating, and it strikes me that um, most companies are decent, they're run by decent people, and they'd want to go along with the the types of initiatives you were talking about there. But do you not think there... Sorry if this is a bit of a difficult question, Mm. but is there a significant uh, section of the business community that might want to deliberately exploit people's mental health issues that they might be experiencing at the time?
2: I'm not sure if people are deliberately exploiting um, people who are vulnerable because of their, their mental health problems. But I do think there are some companies who perhaps don't understand the issue properly, and who could definitely do more to help. So one of the things we see is um, emails, marketing things coming in at sort of 2, 3 a.m. Now, I understand that for companies being top of someone's inbox in the morning might be a thing you want to do. There might be a reason why you send that communication then. But equally, you have to wonder who is gonna be awake and clicking on emails at 3 a.m. And of course, there'll be some people working shifts or some people who've, you know, just been awake maybe with a new baby but for all of those people there's equally perhaps a person experiencing a mental health problem someone who's been out and had a drink and perhaps isn't their you know their ability to make decisions is impaired in that way Um, I think companies should be thinking about who's reading their emails at what time and I can't really see the difference between sending something at 6am and at 3am for a company you're still top of the inbox pile I think we should be thinking about it
1: You've highlighted a a lack of understanding of the issues. And I personally think that there may be a problem with the way mental health issues are reported by the media. And I can't help but remember the infamous Sun front page about Frank Bruno. I think the headline was something like, Bonkers Bruno.
2: It was horrific.
1: Yeah, so... But do you think the media is is getting better at reporting these sorts of issues, or is it still pretty bad?
2: I think... In general, over the past five years, we've seen real progress in how we talk about mental health issues, how the media reports on them, and actually the type of people talking about mental health issues. So love or hate the royal family, it is fantastic to have people in that position talking about mental health problems. It's brilliant that this is at the top of the prime minister's agenda. Um, That awareness, that willingness to talk about these things in public will make a difference. To how willing people are to talk about their own problems Uh, and we know that talking about your problems is the first step to seeking help and and getting better so i think we've come a long way that's not to say there isn't more to do and there's still um, some media outlets using language that is perhaps inappropriate um, that isn't the language that people experiencing mental health problems would choose for themselves.
1: Well, bonkers is pretty bad, is, isn't it? It is
2: <laughs> terrible. Um, it's interesting, since starting this job, I've become really aware of my language. And I wouldn't describe anything any longer as crazy or mad. I used words like ridiculous or daft or silly instead, which don't have quite the same connotations. Um, I didn't realise how often I used those words and that they could be derogatory. Can but we there just, are. just dwelling on of that course. for a
1: second because our listeners will really want to know, what what is the negative effect of using words like that? How can it affect people?
2: It's stigmatising, I think, very simply. You know, if you if the word that can be used to describe a person with a mental health condition is also a word that is generally used to describe something negative, then a mental health condition is a negative thing. And actually, mental health conditions are so common One in four of us is experiencing something, a mental health condition of some sort, at any given time. This isn't a separate group of people, you know, sitting off in some little room on their own. This is, is... It will affect all of us, either personally or a friend or a family member, at some point in our lives. And when you're in that position, I think, you know, knowing that language is being used to describe what you're experiencing in a supportive way is really important and I should say for your listeners there is some fantastic guidance already out there so Mind have amazing online guidance around using language to describe mental health um, the Samaritans have fantastic guidelines on reporting suicide and you know if, if we could all make a conscious effort to, to pay attention to the language we're using that you know, it's not going to change the world, but it goes a little way towards breaking down some of the stigma and keeping this conversation going.
0: Katie, talking about communication and going back to the sort of industry side and the industry's role, we're seeing so, um, uh, the rise and rise of, uh, of uh, digital advice and um, people having access to products like they've never done before with you know, talk three clicks and you've got you bought into an investment product. Um, usually, just relies on you ticking an I accept under a huge sort of long terms and conditions document, yes. which you may or may not read. What does that mean for people like you and what you're trying to do? So,
2: we we launched some research on this in January, exploring how having a mental health problem can affect your ability to make those financial decisions. And what we found looking at the medical and the the neuropsychological literature is that some people experiencing a mental health problem might find it harder to process complex information. That means the likelihood of understanding those T's and C's, which, let's be honest, are difficult for most of us at the very best of times, might be nearly impossible. We are definitely seeing some people um, getting into difficulties because they are able to take out products when they are unwell and they don't fully understand and i think that tick box is a really interesting example because the responsibility there is all on the consumer to read that information which is is complex and technical and to assert their own understanding and i think there's more providers could do you know we're not talking about Assessing mental capacity or anything scary and legal like that. But just checking people understand what they're getting into. You know, two quick questions, multiple choice. What's the expected rate of return on this product? um, How long are you tied into this product for? Would help check people really know what they're getting into. And I think would work for companies as well. By helping them avoid complaints where people haven't understood. And and the difficulties that can arise from that.
0: Actually I think that would be a great idea. Some sort of quiz. Although it sounds like it would be clunky. I think it should be, it's something that sh- should be definitely thought about and rolled out. Absolutely.
2: And that, you know, if, if someone struggles with that, that doesn't mean they have to be automatically ruled out either. But it might mean that that online route isn't appropriate. And actually, that's just a flag that says this person might benefit from a phone call instead.
1: Casey, we're nearly running out of time, unfortunately. It always seems to um, catch up on us too soon. But before you go, can you tell us a little bit about the ways? Um, that you're communicating these issues. What sort of vehicles for messages are going to appeal to people who are, f- are feeling unwell at the, that point?
2: There's there's two things that are really important in the way we bring our message across, both to the, the people with lived experience of mental health problems but also to the policy-making communities that we're trying to reach. Uh, the first thing is stories of lived experience. So for me the most important thing Money and Mental Health can do is be an amplifier for the voices of people who too often go unheard, partly because they find it difficult to communicate when they're unwell. So, you know, we collect stories, we interview people, we run focus groups, we have a whole online research community to collect and collate those stories so we can take them up to policymakers and say, look, this is what's going on, you need to fix it. And the second thing is around partnership working. So there are lots of different mental health charities out there, all doing fantastic things, often in slightly different areas. We try to work together as much as we can, and we had some recent success, we got an announcement in the Prime Minister's speech on mental health in January, announcing a review of charging for something called the Debt and Mental Health Evidence Form, now obviously for any policy institute getting an announcement in a PM speech is an amazing achievement. I don't think we would have done it without the support of other campaigning organisations When we all come together, we just have that weight that says, this is a real problem and you need to do something about it.
1: Katie, I I absolutely know that people are going to want to find out more about what you're doing and what uh, Money and Mental Health is um, engaged in at the moment. How can they do that?
2: Best way to do is find us online. So we're at MMHPI on Twitter and the website is moneyandmentalhealth.org.
1: Thank you so much for coming in. There's loads to think about that.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Plenty of food for thought there. That was brilliant. Michael, we have actually been really spoiled with inspirational guests recently, haven't we?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, inspirational really is the word. And it's, it's just absolutely fantastic and reassuring to know that there are people like Katie who've got that passion, who've got that intelligence and that knowledge about what they do. Um, it's, it's great to have people like that working in the financial services industry and making it better. Um, and actually now's probably a good time to plug our next interviewee who's Baroness Altman, Baroness Ros Altman, the, the former pensions minister. Um, Amy, we're going to be um, popping over to her office at the House of Lords. Um, in the next few days um, so if listeners have got anything that they'd like us to ask Baroness Altman do um, do tweet us and it's at MRM Digital
0: That's all we've got time for this week If you liked it, do find us on iTunes Beer Ampersand Bites and give us a rating and review Cheers!